You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. This podcast is proudly sponsored by WeatherCall Services. Don't be caught off guard by severe weather. Choose WeatherCall. Hello, everyone. I'm meteorologist Sean Sublett, and welcome to Across the Sky, our national Lee Enterprises weather podcast. Lee Enterprises has print and digital news operations in more than 70 locations across the country, including at my home base in Richmond, Virginia. I'm joined by my meteorologist colleagues from across the sky, Kirsten Lang in Tulsa, Matt Hollander in Chicago, and Joe Martucci in Atlantic City. And, and look, y'all, you know, much of the weather buzz these last couple of weeks has been on the Great Lakes. You know, normally each winter at this time of year, there's some decent amount of ice that's on the lakes. But for mid to late February, the ice cover on the combined five Great Lakes uh, is the lowest on record. So what kind of things have you heard? Let, let's start with you, Matt, because you're in Chicago. You're like practically on one of the lakes, man. <laughs> yes, I can. Uh, I not. I don't live right on it, but I am about a hmm, thirty-minute walk to the lake. I can walk about thirty minutes and be on Lake Michigan, and I can tell you that there's not much ice on it uh, because it has been a warm winter in Chicago. And to go along with that, there hasn't been much snow in Chicago either. And I do want to just put in context for people: if you've never seen the Great Lakes in person. There's a reason they're called the Great Lakes, because when you're standing on the shore of the Great Lake, you cannot see the other side of the lake. It, if you just were plopped down there, the first time I was in Chicago and stood on Lake Michigan, I felt like I was at the ocean because you have wave action on these lakes. I mean, the, this is such a huge body of water. You almost, it's tempting to call it, I'm, oh, I'm at the ocean, I'm at the sea, because you can't see the other side of the shore this is very deep water that we're talking about. I mean, the lakes, they're varying depths on, on the various glory lakes, but it, it's deep. I mean, and lots of boating activity. I mean, it is, and there are beaches in Chicago. Now they're not being used right now in the winter, but in the summer, big activity going to the beach. It's a lake beach, but it's a beach with sand in Chicago. So they are, it, it, I always encourage people to just go ahead and check out these lakes when you have a chance because they are super impressive, but also have a big economic impact in the area. So when you're talking about seeing less ice in the lakes and record low levels, uh, it has having an impact on the area. And that's what we get into this podcast with Brian about. So I've never, uh, I don't think I've ever been to the Great Lakes before. I've flown over it a couple of times going to Chicago. Um, but uh, I know it's been, you know, obviously we know it's been super low. Um, you know, I used to do some work uh, covering Michigan uh, back in the day before I was here at the Press of Atlantic City. And I used to always keep them look at what the Great Lakes ice cover was, um, you know, day by day. I was actually uh, working at the time where it got to 92% total coverage for all the lakes in 2014. So to see the opposite here and see records is just quite astounding. Um, but, uh, you know, the Great Lakes is something, too, that the 
how the ice is or isn't impacts not only the Great Lakes states, but does get into the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic, even here in New Jersey. We sometimes get those lake effect snow streamers that make its way a couple hundred miles and sneaks into the region. Um, so it's something, you know, if you're in the Northeast or Mid-Atlantic, you think of, um, of course, though, you're not in it like you are where Matt is in Chicago, if you're in Cleveland or Detroit, um, you know, Chicago and Detroit made me think of pizza and, you know, I don't know. It's a little different. Detroit style, Chicago style pizza, what I'm used to. Um, I have had deep dish pizza, Matt, in, uh, in the ground, the Great Lakes. It, it wasn't bad. It's just not the same. It's good. It's just different. You just have to be in the mood for deep dish pizza or not. If, if you're in the mood for it, it's great. If you're not in the mood for it, you just want a regular pizza. You can get that in Chicago too. It's not just deep dish, but it's, mm. it's different, but equally good. Save us from this nonsense, Kirsten. <laughs> somehow, somehow our conversation got turned to pizza, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, it is noon. We're recording around that lunch hour. So I get it. I get it guys. We're all hungry. Uh, no, but you know, going off the lake effect, th lake effect snow, uh, thing that's maybe some of the buzz that I've seen is that uh, the potential for increased lake effect snow with these warmer lakes. So we'll get into a little bit of that here in the pod in just a bit. Yeah, to uh, to emphasize what what Matt was saying, I've been to Toronto and and looked over Lake Ontario, Cleveland, and and Lake Erie, and and more recently Milwaukee, looking over Lake Michigan, and yeah, uh, as a as a boy going to to Virginia Beach and the Outer Banks it's tough to tell the difference. So, you know, with that, um, our guest this week is Brian Morasca. He's a meteorologist and physical scientist at the NOAA Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab in Ann Arbor, Michigan, you know, basically University of Michigan. Uh, we wanted him to give some perspective because he's deep in it on how rare this lack of ice is. Is it indicative of a trend? And, you know, what are the real world impacts of this? Brian's been there for the last three years. And he is very committed to the science. Previously, he actually worked as the science operations officer at the National Weather Service in Tampa Bay. So we will be right back after the break for a conversation with Brian Morasca. Hey, Brian. So before we get into the specifics on, on the Great Lakes ice and what we are seeing this year, can you explain to people what the Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab does? Now, that is a NOAA lab, correct? Yes, it is. Uh, and I will try to my best to explain it uh, since we do a lot of stuff there. Um, basically, NOAA has labs all across the country that do different aspects of the work NOAA does, from severe storms and um, in Oklahoma, the Pacific uh, Marine Laboratory does tsunamis, and they're located up in the Pacific Northwest. The Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory does exactly what our name says. We research the Great Lakes from all aspects, atmospheric, hydrodynamic, biological, you name it. If it has to do with the Great Lakes, the Great Lakes ecosystem and environment, we have scientists studying uh, the impacts uh, to of climate change, oil spills, you name it, we're doing it. How, how big, before Joe jumps in next, about how big is the staff there? Uh, the staff, I would say it's roughly in the building, about a hundred people or so. Mm -hmm. um, not all of those are federal employees. We actually are. Uh, we have a collaboration with the uh, with the University of Michigan, and their cooperative laboratory for Great Lakes research is also located inside the building. And there's a lot of uh, go back and forth between their researchers and our researchers. And the Coast Guard has uh, staff dedicated at the the laboratory as well. 
Brian, it's uh, it's Joe here. So let's uh, let's do like a Great Lakes 101 for everybody and with the ice. Um, so we have five Great Lakes. We have Superior all the way up north. We have Michigan, Huron, Erie, and Ontario. Um, tell people which lakes would freeze first. If we can go in order, what's most likely to freeze, what's least likely to freeze. And then tell us when we typically peak at our sea or yeah, our lake ice, our sea ice as well. Certainly. Um, again, the, the Great Lakes are a very large geographical area, huge lake system. You'd actually be surprised to know that you'd think the further northern lakes would freeze first, but it's actually the opposite. The coldest air is over those northern lakes, but Lake Erie, which is the one of the far southern lakes, is actually the lake most prone to freezing, most likely to completely freeze over and usually the first to have significant ice on it. And that's due to its depth. It's by far the shallowest lake as well. And when it comes to Great Lakes, the deeper the lake, the harder it is to freeze over. Right, so Erie, and that, that's the one that goes uh, you know, from Buffalo all the way to Cleveland, Toledo here. And it was, uh, you bring a good point, you know, Superior, which is the furthest north, um, is that usually the, the least frozen over? Where does that rank out of the five Great Lakes typically? Because it is, I, is that the deepest one, Superior? Lake Superior is the deepest, it has the deepest point. Obviously, um, if you rank the Great Lakes, if you take all the other Great Lakes to, and add them together, they still don't equal the water content of Lake Superior. So huh. that's, a, that's, that's kind of puts it in, in, in a reference of how big and how deep that lake is. Um, the second deepest lake is Lake Ontario, which is actually one of the smallest uh, in aerial size, but has a tremendous amount of water. And because it is really deep in the middle, it's another lake that's very difficult to freeze over entirely. Easy to get ice along the shorelines, but to get ice in the middle of that lake, it's going to be a cold, cold winter. And so, Brian, what caught our attention was in mid-February when you sent out the press release saying that you had currently in mid-February measured a record low amount of ice on the lakes. So can you give us an update on where we are now? Are we still at a record low level is, or has anything changed there? We are flirting with record low levels for the date right now. Last week, all of last week, we were below record levels for all the lakes. Um, Lake Erie and Ontario were actually ice-free for a time completely. For mid-February, that's really unusual. Um, had a little bit of an Arctic outbreak come down into the upper Midwest last weekend, couple of days of colder temperatures, and we spiked up just a little, still well below average. But we did see a spike up on most of the lakes, and over the last two or three days, that spike has come back down, and we are essentially at record levels for the record low levels for most lakes uh, for the date. And if we if the trend on the the graphs continue into tomorrow, uh, we're going to drop back into those uh, record lows. And to be clear for everyone, we're recording this on February 22nd to put some context behind this talking about yep. the different weeks and uh, weekends. And historically, we typically see the peak in ice coverage around this time of year, right? Late February into early March? Yep. It's the last week of February. Well, basically right today and through the uh, first seven days of March is when we we see those, those average values of ice reach their peak. Um, which makes sense. We've been on a normal winter. We're building on on that ice and those are and those Arctic outbreaks coming down throughout the winter. And once we get into mid March, we we're starting to get into spring and things are, are harder to freeze. So this is this is the maximum. And uh, wow, we're really anemic in terms of ice right now. Yeah, and I wanted to follow up on that. We know there's you know there's a lot of variance from year to year. 
depending on on what a particular winter is like. So can you speak to can you speak to that level? I mean, when we say it's record low compared to a record high, yeah. give people a sense of, of of how much variation there can be at, you know, max ice coverage during a winter to kind of put that in, into perspective as as what we're seeing now, just how rare it is. Yeah. There's huge ranges. Uh, we can on, a, on what would have been considered a very low ice year in the past, we could see values right now of ice coverage in the teens, meaning 15% of the ice of the lakes are covered with ice all the way up to the upper nineties. Um, so that's a huge range in, in, um, and the average falls right in the middle. We should be around 45% ice coverage right now. Over the last two weeks, we've seen values for the entire lake, Great Lakes in the single digits. So um, we're, you know, we do see very low ice years from time to time, but the, the low ice we've seen through a good portion of February has been below any other year's trajectory of ice, meaning all the other, if you take a graph and plot the ice for all these other years, we're below all those years for a good portion of the last two weeks. So the lowest ice we've ever seen in general for all the lakes for the middle and end of February. Got it. Joe, before I let you jump next, let me just ask Brian this real quick. You know, we, we've got the data, but it goes back to 1973. So it's a good, you know, 50 odd years of coverage. Do we know a lot about lake ice coverage before this? Because I think I'm guessing 73 is is when we have good satellite coverage. Is that kind of the, the rationale for that start date? That's 100% correct. 1973 is the first time we really had a good eye in the sky to give us that you know, look at the middle of the lakes. We have ice data, certainly, that goes back far before 1973. But in order to have a what we consider reliable data for the entire lakes, um, we have good good data about the shorelines. We know where it was frozen on the shorelines and in the in the rivers and things like that. But the middle of the lakes before the satellite age was kind of a mystery. You know, there's generally not a lot of shipping activity going on in the Great Lakes in the middle of winter. So um, very sparse reports. And in order to do the kind of records that we're doing, where we're, we're taking the percentage of the entire lake surface, 73 and on is when the data would be considered reliable and accurate. So Brian, so we have all this, we have this data, we know, you know, we're in the single digits for ice coverage with percentage wise across the Great Lakes. On like a day to day basis, what does this actually mean for the weather of the people who are in the Great Lakes or even downstream? I mean, I'm in New Jersey, sometimes we get that lake effect streamer to pop in every once in a mm -hmm. while. But what does this actually mean? Hey, are, we don't have a lot of ice coverage right now. We don't. Um, and, and there might be a, a tendency to believe wow, the, the lakes don't have any ice on it. The lake effect snow machine must be cranking. You know, late, usually in the late winter, we start to see that shut down. The lakes are really cold and there's a lot of ice and it's not as efficient. And so maybe we'd be getting a lot of snow. We should be buried here in the lakes with the leaks. That's possible. It could happen if the lakes are wide open, but you still need the cold air to come down. <laughs> and we are, our outbreaks this year have been few and short. And so even... This is not a year where we're seeing a lot of snow because of lack of ice. We're seeing the opposite. We're seeing a lack of ice and we're seeing a lack of snow. Um, our last last week, I was looking at the, the, the ground snow maps and Wisconsin, Michigan, the entire all those states below the 45th parallel were snow free. And that's incredible. That's just that. And even north of 45th parallel up into the UP, where they're usually measuring it in feet, they had more snow 
but it was they were way below average. And so it's, it's just a, a very low snow year, regardless of the of the ice. So it, it's we're seeing warmer weather. People are noticing the warmer weather, less snow. They're noticing the less snow. And that's the impact we're seeing across the Great Lakes. So it's kind of like a like a positive feedback loop. You're saying because the ice is not there, it's helping keep temperatures a little bit milder as well in conjunction with the fact that we're just not getting those cold air outbreaks. Is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. You know, and if we could if we could get more cold air outbreaks that, you know, a little bit more cold air, we'd probably be pumping out a good amount of snow off these lakes. But we're just the average day here is above normal right now. Um, if we, if you look at the winter, we're getting a couple days per month that are below average in terms of temperature. Um, I was looking at Chicago, for instance, uh, they had two days in December that were, that averaged out below normal. And they've had two days so far in February that averaged out below normal. When you're just, when you're not warm, it's just hard to create the lake effect snow, whether there's ice or not. So it, you know, and, and especially in the Southern parts of these States, we're seeing a lot more rainstorms this winter, as opposed to snowstorms. And it's just, it's correlating out to a very low snow season across, across the lakes. Yeah, I've definitely been talking about above normal temperatures a lot in the Midwest this winter. And, but, you know, I, I was last winter as well. So I want to talk about trends here. You know, you talk about the year-to-year variability in the ice. But can you, is this a trend that we're seeing more of these, these are we seeing more and more of these low levels in the last decade tied in with global warming? And when did we see the highest amounts of ice in the lake when we had the most coverage in general, a, d- a certain time frame, despite the year to year variability? Can we talk about some of the, the trends that we've seen uh, since records start? We, we certainly are seeing trends. And I, I, but I think it's very important to make sure that everyone understands that winter isn't gone. We are going to see cold winters in the, in the lakes in the future. We're going to see high ice in the future. It's just that we're seeing the frequency of these warmer winters, these lower ice winters increasing um, over, over the decades. Um, you can look back 2014 and 2015 were both very cold winters, very high ice. 2019, another cold winter, high ice. All the other years surrounding that have been fairly low. So it's not that you know, like I said, winter's not gone. We will have another 2014, 2019 year um, as we go into the future. But the probability that any given winter in the future is going to be a lower ice year is increasing. Um, if we look back over the past 50 years, we have seen an average of 5% loss of ice per decade. So that's 25% less ice on average in the Great Lakes now as compared to the early 70s. And at the same time, We've seen about a month, it's 27 days. So we're getting, we're getting close to a month less of an ice season in the Great Lakes. And we define the ice season as, as when we first see 5% of ice and when we last see 5% of ice on the lakes. And we've lost about 27 days off that season during that 50 year, during that 50 year period. So these are slow trends, but they're starting to be very noticeable trends. All right, Brian, a lot of that stuff is very concerning. We're going to take a quick break and talk a little bit more about impacts and and what this kind of means to the people living around the lakes when we come back on the Across the Sky podcast. This podcast is proudly sponsored by WeatherCall Services. Don't be caught off guard by severe weather. Choose WeatherCall. Receive precise, location-specific alerts via phone, text, or email. With over a decade of experience, WeatherCall delivers pinpoint accuracy for your exact address ensuring no surprises. Take charge and stay prepared when ominous skies loom. Explore the weather call difference today. Visit weathercallservices.com slash Lee 
enterprises and safeguard yourself, your business, or any school that matters to you. That's weathercallservices.com slash lee-enterprises. You can also find the link in our show notes. And welcome back to the Across the Sky podcast. I'm meteorologist Sean Sublett. Our guest this week is Brian Morosca at the Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab. The, the buzz these last few weeks have been how low the ice coverage has been on the Great Lakes this year. We know there's a wide variation from year to year, but as you mentioned, Brian, earlier in, in the first segment, uh, we are seeing more often than not these lower ice years. Statistically, we're kind of going in this direction. For people who live around the lakes, do, do they seem to notice it? How is this kind of impacting how people act during the winter on the lakes? What, what, what can you, what can you tell us? Yeah, it, it's certainly starting to be noticed. Um, and, and again, the impacts are the important part. Yeah, there's no ice, but why does it, why does this, why does this matter to me? Why should I care is the, is the important, is the important thing we really want to stress. Um, I'm going to start with something that a lot that probably isn't thought about uh, on a daily basis. And that's Great Lakes winter storms. We get the biggest storms, the biggest waves, the biggest pushes of water late fall and winter here in the lakes. The summers are actually, other than a few thunderstorms, fairly benign weather uh, months. But as we get into the winter, we can have some humongous waves here on the lakes, 20 feet or, or more. And the ice being a natural part of the environment in the Great Lakes has worked to protect the shorelines from those large waves, the erosion, the pushes of water, the coastal infrastructure. When we don't have that shorebound ice that is natural on the Great Lakes or has been natural over the, over the decades on, on the Great Lakes, that really opens up the susceptibility of the coastline to severe erosion, infrastructure damage, jetties, piers, even roads if the erosion is bad enough, and coastal flooding. Um, in places, uh, eastern Lake Erie is susceptible to coastal flooding um, with, with large uh, fetches of wind and things like that. And the ice is a great way of protecting the coastline. And we're not seeing that protection as often anymore. And so we're, we've seen very high erosion rates uh, along the Great Lakes and, on, again, damage to infrastructure. And this was especially true a few years ago when the lake levels were at almost historic highs. They've come down a little bit since then. But that's still enough. We're still seeing enough uh, with these storms and the lack of ice to cause some significant coastal problems during the winter months. Uh, if you know you're okay with talking about this at all, but what about ecosystems? Can you tell us how that may be affecting a you know the fish, uh, the you know plants? How how might that be affected by all of this? It it, it certainly is. Uh, again, the ice is a natural part of the Great Lakes, and our environment, our ecosystems have adapted. To utilize the ice, there are many species, um, microbial, microbial and larger, that use the ice to protect their young, to harbor eggs. And so low ice seasons really do affect uh, the ecosystem from a small to a large to a large scale. And when we're really going to start to see these impacts is if we see multiple years in a row stack up like this. Um, I do know they're one of the largest and longest running animal counts is the wolf and moose count up on Isle Royal in Lake Superior. That had to be suspended this year because they do their uh, counts by plane flying over uh, the island. There's no foliage. So they're able to count the, they, they, had, to, they had to suspend that because they, there wasn't enough ice to land their planes. They usually land the, uh, their, their ice bound planes and stuff like that. So these are some of the 
research biological issues that low ice is having uh, uh, this year um, on the lakes and will continue to have into the future if uh, egg laying and, and, and young aren't as protected uh, due to the lack of ice. And what about the economic impact of all of this? Because I imagine this has a big impact. The amount of ice on the lake has a big impact on the number of ships that are on the lake. So what kind of trends are, are we seeing there and the impact that this record low ice will have on that? And that's a, that's a very important point because it's not all gloom and doom with low ice. It's not all negative um, when it comes to the economy. The, the shipping industry is a huge economic driver in the Great Lakes, billions of dollars per year. Uh, less ice is good for them. They they can They can... Do their season later into the fall. They can start their season later in the spring. There's even ships out there now. Um, in fact, I saw I, I was there, saw one report where the ship the shippers were actually concerned because there were uh, com not commercial. There were public fisher fishing people out there on the lakes fishing and getting bites, and they were in the way of the ships and in, in the shipping channels, which has never been a problem this time of year before. So, um, but the fact that they were able to do shipping uh, a good portion of the year and certainly longer. Um, during the year than they've ever had been before is, is a huge economic driver uh, for the region. Um, contrary to that is two of the big recreational tourist, uh, you know, economic drivers here in the lakes are ice fishing and snowmobiling. Both of them have been adversely affected by winters like this. Um, I mentioned before there was a, there was uh, quite a bit of time in the last few weeks where there was no snow south of the 45th parallel and very little snow north of the 45th. And the snow that was there is probably of lower quality with the thaw freeze thaw freeze cycles going on. And so with ice fishing is almost non-existent right now, except for a few maybe bays and inlets. Um, and both of those aspects have been a very negative economic driver. And we, and again, those are things that are additive if we see them year after year after year. So Brian, going forward for the rest of the winter or the ice season here, you know, NOAA, the climate prediction center does forecast above average temperatures through about the 10th of March or so. Looks like we could cool it down relative to average for the middle of the month. Mm -hmm. are, are you tracking the forecast for March and into April? How do you think uh, the Great Lakes ice will be like? And then my, my third question on top of that is, mm -hmm. you know, let's say we stay with low sea ice throughout March and into April. Does this mean anything positive or negative going into the summer months as our water temperatures continue to warm up? Sure. Let me hit those one at a time here. Um, we're certainly watching, we're certainly watching the, the, the extended forecast, or at least the meteorologists on staff are watching the extended forecast. We don't officially do ice forecasts that far out into April uh, and things like that. Um, however, what we're expecting to see over the next month or so or the, the period of time where we still could see ice growth is kind of what we've seen the, the, the rest of the winter. We're going to see these Arctic outbreaks come down, but they're a very short duration. We got one coming down this weekend. It's in, it's out in about two days. Um, and then we're warm again. And these are, these are huge lakes. They're gigantic systems. And a couple of days of cold or below normal temperatures just isn't enough to really get the ice rolling. You need to, you need to get an air mass in there to sit and, and stagnate over the region and really get that, that ice going. So I'd expect to see the graph the next couple of weeks do something like this, where it goes up a little bit, it goes back down, but we never even come close to app to what we should be for the time of year. Um, we'll probably jump above historic lows and then maybe drop back down into them and up and down, but stay well below normal into the middle of March with the, with the trajectory of short bursts of cold air, you know, half a week to a week of warm, short bursts. 
And that's been the trend. That's been the biggest trend that we've seen in recent years is it's, it's not that we don't get cold air in the Great Lakes. We, it's the duration of it. It comes down, there's shorter uh, bouts of it, and they just aren't enough to really get the, 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 the lakes to go. And then we see a, an, enough of a warming trend to negate any of the, of the positive ice gains that we got. Looking forward, now, there is very low ice on the lakes, but you don't want to go swimming in them. They're cold. Believe me, they're just a couple of degrees above freezing. So they're still very cold. And what will most likely happen is by the time we get to mid-April or so, when we usually lose most of our ice anyways, we'll end up about where we normally are in terms of temperatures. The, the, the lakes will be within a couple of degrees of where they normally are. And then we'll start to mix um, as, 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 we, as we continue to warm. And so it really probably won't have a, a large impact on the water temperatures going into the late spring or early summer. Now, as, if the summer tends, ends up being a very warm period as well, then we could have above normal temperatures. But I don't really foresee a, a rapid rise above normal in terms of water temperatures due to the fact of the lack of ice. It's, it's more of a, of a direct winter impact um, and it'll, it'll, it'll work itself out into, the, into the, the average of the lakes as we get into the later spring. And uh, Brian, I want to talk about lake effect snow, because one of the things that gets buzz along the Great Lakes is people actually like to see the ice forming along lakes because it lets them know, hey, the lake is getting colder. It's less likely we're going to get lake effect snow. Places like Buffalo, Northwest Indiana, Michigan, places that are really infamous for their lake effect snow. So what can you tell us about this year looking ahead? Uh, are we going to see more lake effect events when we normally wouldn't because of this lack of ice, but also just the larger trend in the last decade when we've been having more of these low ice levels? Have we seen an uptick in the amount of lake effects? Now? For the rest of this this winter, with the lakes open, the, the potential for lake effect snow is, is still there, uh, but you still need the cold air. You've got to have that that. Uh, Cold, you got to have that difference between the lake and you know the the overlying air that's coming coming down, and we will see brief periods of lake effect snow with these these short Arctic outbreaks that come down. Um, but they're not going to be the fact that they're, they're only a day or two, and then we'll have a long period where temperatures are above average and there's no lake effect. So we'll see some, but it's we're basically below normal in terms of lake effect across the Great Lakes system right now. And that, that's very, very unlikely that that's going to uh, be changed in the next month or so. Especially lake effect becomes much and much more difficult as you head towards later February and March because of the sun angle, especially during the day. You can get some bandings that, that develop during the night when the sun's down. But during the day, we actually have the sun. The sun strength is, is enough to start disrupting those bands and you get these more globular things that don't really produce as much snowfall. Uh, and so we're, we're kind of getting out of lake effect season very quickly, regardless of the ice that's on the lake at this point. But you think there might be some enhancement? I mean, when we are usually in our lake effect season, I know for this year, probably not. But you know, we would, would that be a trend that we might see because maybe lake effect season starting a little bit earlier because the, eight, the lakes aren't icing up as much? Is that a trend that, that you've noticed or has there not been a clear trend there? Yeah, across the entire Great Lakes I'd say no. We have areas that are that are that are preferred for places like that. We've seen a couple of very large lake effect snow events in the Buffalo area over the past couple of years that have been very highlighted. And that some of those have been influenced by how warm the lake is uh, in November and and into December. Um, if it's running, if the lake is running above 
above normal and you can get one of these big Arctic outbreaks to come down early, you can really crank the, the lake effect snow up as long as it's not too, the lake isn't too warm to change it to rain. Um, but uh, as we head into, even if we don't have ice, as we head into January and February, again, the lakes are cold. They're, they're, they're only, they're very, they want to freeze. They're close to freezing. They're only a couple of degrees above freezing at the surface. So you don't really, unless they, unless you completely freeze them over, there's not going to be a much of a difference in, in terms of the, of the amount of lake effect that's coming off them. It, it, it really depends on the amount of cold air that's coming down, you know, yeah, that difference. And the, the Arctic air, as cold as it's been, has not been extreme and it's been short-lived and we just haven't been able to have those prolonged air times of, of snow coming off the lake. Okay, so Brian, be, before we, we let you go, where can people learn more about the Great Lakes Environmental Research Lab if, if they want to follow some of the data or learn more? Certainly. Um, the Great Lakes Environmental Research Laboratory has a very extensive website that highlights all the research going on. Um, ICE is a very, we have a website that's extensive on ICE and the uh, current conditions, historical ICE cover, all the FAQs you could think of uh, for Great Lakes ICE um, are on there. And uh, that's basically, you can go to uh, glural.noaa.gov uh, and uh, just search for ICE and you know, they'll bring you there. And this, this is a, a site that's used by a lot of media. Uh, for graphics and things like that. And if there's anything on there that is not answered, uh, certainly dropping uh, Glural a line uh, via our, the, the email and letting us know that uh, there's there's some things you might like to know about it, we can we can do that research. And it's probably something that needs to be added to the page. So um, glural.noaa.gov is your one-stop shop for Great Lakes research. And uh, like I said, if it's important to the Great Lakes, there's probably somebody working on uh, research uh, into it right now, and uh, their their work will be highlighted on that page. All right, Brian, thanks so much. Appreciate the work that you do and all your colleagues are doing there uh, in Arbor. Appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, and we hope to talk with you again sometime. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much to uh, you and your entire team. I'd love to love to be back sometime. Thank you. And stay with us. We'll be back with a few closing thoughts on the Across the Sky podcast. And Brian had so much good information. I mean, I felt like I knew a little bit about what's going on up there. But as we said at the outset, he's very deep into what's going on up there. No pun intended. What What did you kind of take away from this, Matt, being there in Chicago? Well, I did think it was interesting him talking about the lake effect snow and how, again, this time of year, I mean, looking just like how the rest of this winter, early spring is going to play out probably not a lot more lake effects you know, because the lakes are cold to be clear like this i know just this next system that's going to be coming through not really expecting a lot of lake effects you know with it because the lakes are colder uh, than the land and he really uh, he made it very clear that you need that arctic air it needs to be really cold on land and then the lakes need to be warmer and the problem is we're just not seeing these really long lasting arctic outbreaks it's not getting that cold over land either and that's part of the reason why we're not seeing much ice on the lakes but also just talking about the, the greater trend because of that, uh, yes, there's a potential for, you know, in that November, December timeframe 
and the lakes are just warmer in general where you might get more lake effect snow but because we may end up seeing the the, the it, it wasn't so much that the ice is really boosting those levels maybe in certain incidents but overall there's no clear trend and a huge increase in the amount of lake effect snow. So I thought it was good to clarify that because there has been some buzz about we're going to see a lot more lake effect snow. And really, that's probably not going to be the case because we're just not going to see as many cold air outbreaks. And you need the cold air outbreak first to even be talking about lake effect snow. So the amount of ice on the Great Lakes may be not having as big an impact on the amount of lake effect snow as we thought. Well, and I think the other thing too, you know, just the other side of this coin that he was saying is that winter's not gone. You know, I mean, as, as much as this is a trend upward of what we're seeing, it doesn't mean that we're never going to have, you know, our ice anymore. So I think that's something to, to, you know, and not to freak everybody out. That's something to keep in mind is that, you know, winter's not completely gone um, and that we will, you know, get these cold winters like, like we've had before, just not this year. Yeah, it's still, I mean, average temperatures for those Great Lake cities, you know, there's still plenty of time during the year where it's below freezing and well below freezing at that. Uh, not happening as often, but it still happens. And the average days are still such where you are getting a season where ice is still, you know, plentiful. Like we said, in 2013 and 2014, both of those years had um, sea ice above 90% at one point in time. And that was only about 10 years ago or so. Yeah, I, I think his point was very well taken. It's not like it, you're never going to have ice again. But as you look into the future, you're going to have more seasons like this season than you had in the past. These amount of low ice seasons are going to begin to accumulate. The, the cold, icy ones aren't going to entirely go away, but they will become more common. And another thing he was able to tell us, you know, during one of the breaks is that now that they, the lakes are more ice free, more often, they're actually able to go out and do more research on the lakes because they're not frozen. So to learn more about them. So, um, you know, the impacts are, are, are multiple, uh, all about what's going on with the great lakes. So a lot to be written, as we said, uh, in the coming weeks and months. All right, with that, we want to close things up, but we do have a lot of good stuff in the pipeline over the coming weeks here on the Across the Sky podcast. Of course, spring uh, is on the way. We we know that meteorological spring starts first of, first of March. We're going to have a couple of guests about that. We're hoping to get something about aviation weather, uh, talking about what you need to know if, if you're flying commercially. Hurricane season isn't that far away, working on something there. And for a couple of weeks from now, we're going to have our buddy Tony Rice coming back to talk about the April 8th solar eclipse, the total solar eclipse, a nice stripe of totality to a good part of the country uh, on April the 8th. Some, some reminders, some safety precautions, and we'll talk a little weather with that as well. This reminder, subscribe if you haven't already. Tell your friends about us. And rate us on Apple Podcasts if you can. We've seen a, people, a few people rate us, and we thank you for that. Joe, remind folks, if they have a question, how do they contact us? Yes, sir. You can give us a call at 609-272-7099. 609-272-7099. We did get a voicemail last week, but... I don't know what was said in the voicemail, to be honest with you. So uh, if you left me a voicemail or left us a voicemail, I should say, um, you know, give us a call back. Maybe it just got broken up. I'm not sure. But give us a call. We're happy to answer your questions. We've done it in the past. We'll do it now. And uh, 
we appreciate everybody listening. And by the way, Sean, you know, you said the solar eclipse. A lot of those solar eclipse totality places on the Great Lakes. They are. They are. Very much so. Very much yes. so. Uh, unfortunately, they can tend to be cloudy in early April, but, you know, every day is different. Uh, so we will see. All right. So we will close up shop for this week for meteorologists, Joe Martucci, Matt Hollander, and Kirsten Lang. I am Sean Sublett in Richmond, Virginia. Thank you for joining us on the Across the Sky podcast, and we will talk with you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.